I do appreciate the growth of the work and the loyalty of all of you and the loyalty of your brethren around the world because the work is growing. We are having a greater impact. And as Mr. League announced, we did have 8.2% increase in attendance on the Holy Days this spring. And that's wonderful. Mr. Rod McNair and the church administration, Debbie, I guess, and others helped put it together. But we have a fine report. And it usually runs 8 to 9% increase in church attendance when you include the whole world. So we are growing. As we keep on growing, we may get up to 10 or 15% increase. And I think we will as these world events increase, as prophetic events continue to happen the way they are. Anyway, we're grateful for that very much. Brethren, I'm going to speak today on what lies just ahead. Where are we in biblical prophecy and what should we be doing right now? Where are we in biblical prophecy? We haven't had a sermon on prophecy for several months. And a lot of things are happening, as you know. Mr. League commented on these terrible tornadoes recently, just in the last few months. And I can't even begin to tell all the events. We've had a whole wave of overthrows of Arab governments, mainly autocratic-type governments, kind of little dictators all across North Africa and now into the Middle East when you include Jordan and you include uh, Syria. Now it's beginning to blow up and Bahrain and other areas like that. We also, as you know, had a flood of biblical proportions, they called it directly that, in Australia that wiped out tens of thousands of acres of crops and is going to affect their food supply out in Southeast Asia. We've had earthquakes, a whole series of earthquakes in Japan and China and the Philippines. And, of course, we had quakes here in this hemisphere in Chile and Haiti and, of course, the recent one in J- Japan with the tsunami following up as the worst one of all, killing so many hundreds of people and one of the worst earthquakes and tsunamis in, in history. These things are biblical proportions. And now, as we said, our own series of tornadoes just sweeping across this land, plus some of you who don't read a lot may not have heard, but they're having a terrible drought in much of Texas, Whole tens of thousands of acres in Texas are being out, wiped out by wildfires, and the drought is extended up into parts of Oklahoma, New Mexico, and elsewhere in that whole area. That is going to affect the crops, they say, and the food supply. That's one reason your, your food uh, is going up, because of these terrible droughts, alternating droughts and floods, which God talks about in the Bible. These things are happening big time. And I've just covered the surface, of course. Many of these other things uh, like that are happening around the world, and I did not try to cover them all. Turn with me to just an overview here of Matthew 24. And I know a number of you here are new from the campaigns and other sources and have not heard. So you older brethren may have heard some of this, but you haven't heard all of it. So listen carefully. (laughs) But we have a number of new brethren here who have not heard prophecy, perhaps, except on the television And Matthew 24 is the most complete account of what we call the Olivet Prophecy, that is, the prophecy Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. Matthew 24, and if you would turn there beginning in verse 3. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came asking, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Not the end of the world, the end of this present age, this 6,000-year period that God has mapped out, 
to let man try out his own ideas, his own ideas about religion, his own ideas about government, his own ideas about various types of capitalism and financial affairs, his own ideas about society, about entertainment, about music, art, literature, everything like that. Man is given 6,000 years to do that before God intervenes and sends the Jesus Christ to the Bible. Most people do not know that Christ. The real Jesus Christ of the Bible then will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And people will not mess with him the next time. If he would come back like he did before right now, our world would kill him. They would. They would kill him again. I'm not exaggerating. That's what they would do to him. And when he comes back, the Bible describes, as many of you know, that whole nations are going to fight him. They're going to have massive armies fighting Christ when he comes again. That's how deceived they will be at that time in our modern so-called up-to-date age. But at any rate, he then gives the main things were to happen. He said, take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name. They'll come in Jesus' name. The baker the butcher, the candlestick maker, does not come in Jesus' name. It's preachers who come in Jesus' name. False ministers, and it will deceive not few, but many. And then they're to hear of rumors of war and nations and find they hold governments, hold alliances, world war, and there will be famines. The next thing he mentions in this account is famines, lack of food. That is building. And many articles have come out in our local paper They've come out in the New York Times. They've come out in the Wall Street Journal, which I read regularly, because although the Wall Street Journal is thought of as being just a financial paper, it is frankly now the biggest and the best newspaper on earth, bar none. I have traveled around the world to a great extent, and there's no paper on earth that begins to compare with it. It charges more. It costs $2 an issue. But on the other hand, if you get a one or two year subscription at home, it costs an awful lot less and it's very, very educational. They are much bigger and better than the New York Times. No comparison anymore and very authoritative. But at any rate, many of these papers bring out how these things are building and building. Food shortages are building and all kinds of these other things are building and they know that. Famines, then disease epidemics, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. The earthquakes are not supposed to be all just in Israel, that is, in our United States and British Commonwealth nations. They're to be elsewhere. They're to be everywhere, including us. All these are the beginning of sorrows. I might digress for a moment, by the way. I don't know if Mr. Lee mentioned this while I was gone. Perhaps he did. But uh, did he mention about the new station, KCAL? We have a new station in Southern California, KCAL. They call it KCAL. And it is going to begin viewing or, or uh, airing our program this Sunday, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. local time. That's tomorrow morning, just a few more hours in Los Angeles. It's one of the best stations, Channel 9, and one of the best stations. When I announced that, a lot of people came up that, boy, we hear that one regularly. And so it's heard all over Southern California and should bring a big response. It ought to begin to give us... 7,000 plus responses uh, after it's being built a while. It takes a little while to build an audience. But Mr. Wayne Pyle, who keeps track of those things, said he's sure it's going to get us over 7,000 many times. So we're going to be growing. We're going to have an impact. And one reason I especially wanted to get on that and to begin to pray that God would give us a good station in Los Angeles 
in San Francisco, Oakland area, and the Seattle area is because they are going to get some of these earthquakes. They are going to get some of these tsunamis soon. And I would like to reach them with the truth of Almighty God before that happens. As you know, the earthquakes have been moving around from China, Japan, the Philippines, and uh, then uh, other places in, in uh, Indonesia and over to what was the big one in uh, New Zealand and then up to Chile, clear around the ring of fire, as they call it, a ring of extinct or not always extinct volcanoes starting in, in uh, eastern Asia, coming around to the western part of the United States and right down the west coast of South America and the west coast of the United States. It's hit Chile a couple times recently, not the United States yet. We're next. Let's not forget it. We will be coming soon. And we need to recognize that and pray for our brethren in Los Angeles and pray for our brethren in the San Francisco, Oakland area and all up and down the coast and all over. These things are going to change our lives, brethren. They're going to change our lives. So we are broadcasting starting tomorrow morning on KCAL. And I would ask all of you to join me in praying that God would give us the money, give us the resources to go on stations in the San Francisco, Oakland big area. That, again, is a metro area of three or four million people and the Seattle-Tacoma area, which is also a metro area of ten or uh, three or four million people. And, of course, the greater Los Angeles area is over ten million people. A lot of people out there, a lot of human beings made in God's image, and there are of Israel. We need to reach them. Jesus said, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So we have a big job to do. There will be earthquakes in various places, Jesus said. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And they will deliver you up to tribulation, kill you. It's not all going to be wine and roses, as they say. As our work grows in power, we've got to expect persecution and be ready for it. And kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That indicates, brethren, to me and other similar statements, I could give a sermon indicating a number of things like this from different verses. This is one of the clearer ones. It indicates to me that somewhere on this earth, at the end of the age, there will be at least a branch of the church of God, the true church of God, that's doing a powerful work, and the work will be so powerful that they will know who we are, and they will start to come looking for us. I'm not trying to keep you home from church, <laughs> but you need, to pout, you need to count the cost to be a real Christian. <clears throat> they will start to come looking for us. And, and we need to recognize that and be, and be close to God. You will be hated. They can't hate us unless they know who we are. They don't know who we are right now. You know that. You can go all over uh, Charlotte. You'll very find very few people that know who we are. That will change. And as these events impact the nation, it's going to increase the impact of our work, of course. Then many false prophets, not a few, a whole slew of false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the whole attitude, anti-authority. You don't obey your parents. You don't obey your teachers. You don't respect the people in authority in the government. Some of that self brought on. We know the government and the general educational system is watered down, helps bring it on, but that does not make it right. We are to respect our parents. We are to respect our teachers. We are to respect those in authority. 
and they will begin to have an attitude of anti-authoritism and lawlessness. And the love of many will wax cold. Who cares, people say after a while, but he who endures to the end, uh, the end, who is faithful, do not give up and quit. He will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, the coming kingdom or government of God, will be preached. Not that it might be. Jesus said it will be preached in all the world as a witness. We're not going to convert everybody. The world will hate us before it's all over. But they will hear the message as a witness, at least, to convict them and to recognize they have been warned. When these things begin to come down on them big time, they can't yell at God and say, God, God, why didn't you tell me? He could say, I have told you through my church, through my servants, through the Tomorrow's World program and all the other facets of this work. So God's going to do that. It's going to be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So these things are going to happen. They're building right now. Therefore, when you see, and brethren, we've described this back in Daniel 9 and Daniel 11, when you see the abomination of desolation, in ancient times, that was, of course, the prototype was the uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes who put a statue of, of pagan gods inside the temple of God and the scholars, and we agree that was a kind of a type of the final Antichrist. And he offered swine's flesh on the altar. Some pagan leader is going to do something terrible, either on an altar or in a quick temple, and the Jews can put up a temple real quick. It may not be perfect, but they can get some. They know how fast they are when you go back and review the Six-Day War and the other things they've done. They'll have something there, and they will begin to, to desolate, desecrate that temple. And that will be the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And we've had partial sermons on that. They're going to have that happen. Watch the Middle East. Watch these events build up. Watch these authoritarian leaders, but secular leaders. Remember, they're human uh, worldly leaders. They're not overly religious. Mubarak and all these other leaders over there, Gaddafi, they were just normal carnal dictators who wanted things for themselves. They were not terrible right-wing Islamists. Now it's going the other way. And the Muslim Brotherhood, as they call it, is the most powerful organized group in the Middle East at this time, and they're beginning to assert their power. Many articles have come out on that. So eventually together, they and perhaps other groups with, with them will overthrow any so-called democracy that is set up. Democracy is not the wave of the future, by the way. Other nations will begin to turn away from democracy. And, of course, they have the Democratic Republic of the Congo, as you've read. And when they use that term, it uses a joke. They don't have any kind of democracy at all. It's horrible dictatorship. And these nations all through Africa and South America, Central America, Asia, and the Middle East are turning away from any kind of democracy and will do so more. And the final form of government will not be politicians promising, 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 so the bigger promises they make and the bigger lies they take will influence poor, uneducated people to vote for people they don't even know about and have no idea what they stand for. That's what democracy is when you think about it. So we'd better get ready for the Great Tribulation and you younger people better wake up and smell the roses or maybe smell the coffee is a better way to put of it to get awake. These things are happening in your lifetime and they're going to happen big time in the next few years. And I've said before, 
I think that some of the biggest things in modern history will begin to happen. I don't say finish, but begin to happen within the next three to six years. So you can pin me down on that. In other words, six years from now would be the spring of uh, 2017. I think some massive things are going to happen to change your entire life. You young people here and young people all around this earth. Your life will not be the same very many more years because there is a real God and that real God is beginning to intervene even now as I've listed all these things. The worst tornadoes in America in over 40 years. A flood of biblical proportions as we know in Australia and in Japan, one of the worst earthquakes in modern history and one of the greatest tsunamis and death tolls and all the rest of it, all within one year, within a few months. Within a few months. It's coming fast, and it's going to increase in velocity over the next several years. You watch. God is beginning to intervene and shake the nations, and people will have to realize how small they are and how great God is. So we do need to understand. So these things will happen. This is the most terrible time coming since the beginning of the world known or ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God in His mercy will cut short that terrible tribulation, which would normally have been seven years when you know God's way God does things, but He cuts it short after three and a half years, the Bible shows us, and may even cut that short in the sense the day of the Lord, God's direct intervention, apparently comes during the last year of the three-and-a-half-year tribulation. So these things are happening, and they're beginning to happen right now, and it's good to really get an overview and understand where we are. Where are we? These things are happening big time right now. Now turn back to Leviticus 26. Remember, brethren, and you newer people, please understand this. Look it up. Look it up. I don't have turned to it. I've been recently uh, putting a big W in my New Testament in the margin, wherever it's quoting directly from the Old Testament as Scripture, and I mean meaning the Word, you know, W. Over and over, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament as Scripture. Jesus said, Luke 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the only written word of God back then was what we call the Old Testament. And Jesus said, live by it, and you're to understand it. So this is part of it. That is the Bible. Back in Leviticus 26, he's, call, he's talking to our forefathers. And those of you who are not of Anglo-Saxon Celtic heritage, most of you older brethren, understand that. You're here. Some of you are black. Some of you are Hispanic. Some of you are Oriental or other backgrounds. But that doesn't make any difference. You're all spiritual Israel and will be in the resurrection and have every blessing that we have. But in a physical sense, you're living in, in Joseph in a sense because the United States and British people are the sons of Joseph. And if you're living in America and Britain, the atomic and hydrogen bombs and all these other inventions of modern warfare, they have no uh, racist attitudes, you know. <laughs> they just come down on everybody. They come down on everybody, so we all have to understand that. So he tells our forefathers as a nation here in Leviticus 26, if you walk in my statutes, verse 3, keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield its produce. 
He said, you'll eat your bread of the full and well in your land safely, and I'll give you peace in the land, verse 6 and so on. Every blessing. But, turn to verse 14. Leviticus 26, verse 14. But if you do not obey me, here's what we're beginning to do. What are we doing in this nation? We're saying you can't put up the Ten Commandments in any public buildings anymore. The children don't even use the name under God or they don't even recite the Pledge of Allegiance because it includes words like that in most schools anymore. They're taking God out of the public square in every way they possibly can. They're having all these TV shows and they use comedy. Very clever, these Hollywood uh, rotten uh, two-legged skunks out there. They're using comedy as a vehicle to make everything seem funny and to water down God's way. So they tried to use comedy to bring in other things, and now they're trying to bring in homosexuality and make fun of anyone who tries to put down homosexuality. And yet God calls it an abomination. God calls it throughout the Bible an abomination. And He shows in the New Testament that people were doing this, and they received on themselves the just deserts of their deeds. They get AIDS. They get AIDS and they get other terrible diseases and troubles they would never get otherwise because they are breaking God's spiritual, even physical laws using parts of their bodies for rotten purposes God never, ever intended, watering down the whole attitude toward marriage, which should be thought of as a representation of the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church to bring forth godly children and all that kind of thing. They're wrecking everything that God stands for. It's not some funny thing. It's ridiculous. It's awful. It's damnable. And God's going to put an end to it. But we're letting this thing sweep across our nation. And all kinds of young people are living together. Now, I'm glad that Prince William and his uh, new bride uh, had a beautiful marriage. And I hope they can be happy. I just heard on the radio this morning they're not having a honeymoon Uh, They're going to have a trip later. Why aren't they having a honeymoon? Well, they don't need one. As you know, it's public knowledge. They've been living together off and on for years. And everybody turns a blind eye. Well, you're not nice to talk about that. Well, that's too bad. I don't think John the Baptist was very nice when he warned Herod, you're not to live with your brother's wife. It's against God's law. And here's a man that's supposed to be, if he gets to be king, the titular head of the Church of England, the head of the whole church. And he starts living with his girlfriend for months. Most young people know that. I hope I'm not opening your eyes to something you don't know. I'm not trying to mislead you, but it's really rotten in God's sight. That is how low we have come. All through these Sunday supplement magazines that I read occasionally, Parade or whatever it is we get here, and other magazines I look at occasionally, they'll have Miss So-and-so living with her boyfriend, or they got up and ate breakfast together, statements obviously indicating they're living together. Ain't that nice? These TV stars and movie stars, they make over them and make over them. And these Sunday supplements, they used to have big articles about President Eisenhower and about President Kennedy or about important people. Now they have big articles about so-and-so, Miss so-and-so or Mr. so-and-so or John or Jane or whatever they call them and what they like to eat for breakfast. I don't care what they like to eat for breakfast. They are ridiculous. Young people play acting on front of a camera. What have they accomplished? Nothing except confusing other young people who don't know God's truth. They don't understand the purpose of life. They don't know why they're here, where they're going, and they certainly don't know how to get there. So why are we exalting them? 
God says, that which is exalted among men is an abomination to God. I think that's in the Gospel of Luke. If you despise my commandments and my statutes, and we do, we hate God's whole way of life. That is this nation in Britain and Canada. If you despise my statutes, and his statutes include, of course, the knowledge of God's holy days. They include the, 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 the command, you shall not lie with the man as with the woman. That's part of God's law. That's one of his statutes. Tithing is one of God's statutes. A lot of people water that down. They don't tithe. They steal from God and think they can get away with it. You're not getting away with it. Mr. Armstrong wrote a whole article one time on the man who could not afford to tithe. And someone told him he could not afford to tithe, but he decided to tithe anybody. And then this flood came out and wiped all the crops of his neighbor out, and his crop alone was spared. It was like a miracle, like Mr. League describing some of our people being protected in the recent tornadoes. You can't afford not to tithe in the end. Does that mean God's going to bring fire down on, down on you tomorrow or something? No. But in the end, you will not be blessed by stealing from God. That's just that clear. But at any rate, statutes. If you break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. What's one of the first things to happen? Terrorism. 9-11 and all over Britain and even down into Spain and Italy and all those other places we've had terrorist attacks. We're going to have a lot more. Are tornadoes terrorism? In a sense, they are. They're really frightening to people. Terrible things that can be translated. It's not just disease or earthquakes. All kinds of terrible things are beginning to happen. Wasting disease. One of the most famous, well, the most famous wasting disease of our generation is AIDS. It just causes the whole body to come apart because men think they can get away with doing away from God's entire plan for humanity. They're so smart thinking men can marry men. So their whole body just comes apart. And fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. You'll sow your seed in vain. You're going to have massive the massive flood of biblical proportions in Australia. Wipe it out. You'll have tornadoes and other floods and drought. And our United States, wipe it out. And these things are going to get worse. Eventually, those who hate you shall reign over you. And verse 18, after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times or perhaps better translated, sevenfold more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. Is God beginning to break the pride of the power of the United States and Great Britain? Most of you know that. We used to be looked up to all over this earth, and yet I read article after article coming about in the Charlotte Observer, in the Economist magazine, in the Wall Street Journal, and papers wherever I am, the Los Angeles Times recently, showing how we are beginning to be looked upon and respected less and less and less all over the world. The pride of our power is being broken. Our military is stretched thin. We're in two major wars, and now we're in a third war in Libya, and they're starting other stuff here and there. It's going to ruin our military's morale as the soldiers are beginning to commit suicide more often being away from home so long for causes they don't believe in and reasons they don't understand and all the rest of it. And are, we're running out of military parts and ammunition. We are going to be broken. And this is happening now. It's, it's going to hit big time within the next three to six years of your life. That's my prediction. That's not the Bible, but that's First Meredith 3-4, if you want to write it down. <laughs> that's what I think. 
and you can see whether I'm right or not as God's servant. Those who hate you will reign over you. I'll break the pride of your power, and he's certainly doing that in a lot of different ways. I make your heaven like iron and your earth like bronze. In other words, the rain's not going to come down in a normal way. Other scriptures show back in Amos and Hosea, you'll get too much rain in some areas, too little rain in other areas. And God said that thousands of years ago, and he's bringing it about now. Though these things are going to happen, then we're going to have, of course, food shortages. We're going to have food riots. We're going to have class riots. People are going to be out of work. We'll have race riots, and I hope all of you in God's church understand that so that the blacks and the whites love each other in God's church. We're God's people. This is not our world. This is not our government. Our kingdom is in heaven. We're not going there, but Christ is going to bring our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. Back in Philippians 2. And he's bringing it back to this earth again. So we've got to put God's government, God's way of life above these physical things. We want to honor our leaders. We want to appreciate the good things that have been done in our nation. But our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We're entering a time of financial chaos. And they had on the 60 Minutes program a few months ago, which I referred to in a sermon back then about two and a half months ago, this whole 60 Minutes section on Day of Reckoning showing how we printed trillions and trillions of dollars is becoming monopoly money. You print so much money, there's no more gold behind it. There's no more productivity behind it. It becomes nothing. It becomes worth nothing like happened in the Weimar Republic back in the, to, in the early 1920s. A lot of you have heard about that. Maybe some of you younger people haven't. They began to print more money to get out of trouble. And what happened? Pretty soon, they were paying their workers in the auto plants and other plants every hour. And the wives of the workers, women weren't working as much back then, would bring a wheelbarrow. And they, the man would give them this whole pile of little bills. And they would rush to buy something before the price went up the next hour. That's how fast things were changing. And, of course, the government came crashing down and Adolf Hitler came in. That opened the way for a strong man to come in. So something like that's perhaps going to happen again in Germany. Certainly it's going to happen over here. We're going to have inflation or hyperinflation unless the thing gets turned around. We're printing funny money and it's hurting our prestige all over the world. All the Chinese have to do is to withdraw their about $1 trillion of bonds they bought and our dollar would come crashing down. Most experts say they won't do that tomorrow because they've got so much invested they want us to buy their goods. But gradually they're diversifying more and more out of the dollar and they're putting more of their money into gold, into the euros, into Swiss francs and into commodities all over the world and buying up mines and buying up shipping lines and buying up everything they can think of to get real stuff because they sense the American money is not going to be any good. And that's what they're doing. Other nations who we owe are doing the same thing. The pride of our power is already being broken big time. These smart people, they see what's happening. They're getting their money out of the United States. So then he says, if you still walk contrary to me, verse 30, uh, 21, I will bring you sevenfold more plagues. And he describes other things that are going to happen. And finally, terrible drought. So that people are literally starving to death. And you turn to even cannibalism, and that's awful. These things are beginning to build up in that direction. Also, militant Islam, 
One of the fastest growing religions is the Muslim religion. And it's growing all over the world and very powerfully in Europe. And to some extent in this country, there's going to be a reaction against that. There will be riots. Probably the Europeans will rise up more than they already are and begin to beat up on the Muslims and try to get them back home again. As you know, the Swiss have really upset the the uh, Arab countries because they will not allow any mosques to be built now in Switzerland. And they're causing, the French president said, no more women wearing these burqas, this head-to-toe thing over themselves like Lord Darth Vader hiding beside some big black suit. It's ridiculous. They're keeping women in prison like that and wearing that kind of crazy stuff. But that's what people are going to. Even some of the women put up with it. They don't know any better. It's going to come to an end, but it's going to cause a reaction in this country and certainly in Britain and especially France and Germany and those nations, and they will then upset the the uh, Arab nations who will get together. And at this time, as you know, uh, the Arab leaders, as I said, are being kicked out, the secular, worldly leaders, and they're being replaced by Muslim extremists and will be more and more replaced by them then they will take over and they will start the worship of the Islamist religion and they will then impose this this uh, extreme Islam and where they hate the others, they hate the Westerners and want to kill us. If you don't belong to their religion, you deserve to be killed. That's what they end up doing, the ones in that extreme fringe. It's going to be awful. So at some point, they'll had enough of it. They'll begin to push, push them out from Europe then there will be a reaction and the Muslim nations will provoke, as it can be translated, the beast power in Europe that's going to rise up. Ten nations in Europe, the area of the old Roman Empire, and they will provoke them. And then the European power being more or educated and with greater weapons will come down and crush the Islamist peoples, and that's going to begin to build. So watch these Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamist leaders take over all across North Africa and in the Middle East. It is leading toward one man coming on called in the Bible the King of the South. I don't think that man will appear necessarily in the next two or three years. He might appear, though, in the next three to six years, so we know who he is. A kind of a preparatory type of him was there, as I've told you, yelling all over the Middle East, Gamal Abdel Nasser, when David John Hill and I spent about two months over in the Middle East back in 1963. And everywhere you'd go, and I mean everywhere, you'd be coming out of storefronts and in barber shops and hotels and bars and everywhere, here is this voice night after night, Hey, yeah, 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 Israel! Israel! Kill the Jews, drive them into the sea, he was saying over and over. We'd ask the local guide or the local people, what is he saying? And they look kind of embarrassed, but they, they usually tell us that's what he's yelling, yelling, yelling. They're going to have that again over there. And they'll begin to hate the Americans. As you know, that we're called uh, uh, Satanists, the great Satan. Why are we the great Satan? Well, because we we have a better system, we're more wealthy than they are, and so it makes us look better, even our religion and way of life. They hate us because they're jealous of us. And secondly, of course, we back the Jewish people whom they hate, and so they blame us for everything the Jews do. The Jews are just an excuse, though. They're not bothering anyone, but they use all that as an excuse. 
So they're going to hate us and want to kill us all across the Middle East. There will be more flag burnings, more beating up of American tourists and killing and all that kind of thing. So you're going to see that happen as the king of the south arises. And again, these things will happen. Then the beast, of course, will have begun to come up. And you will see, finally, ten nations. You no, know, first it was six, and people said, ha-ha, they're only six in the original common market. Then there got to be, well, recently, 27. Then they said, ha-ha, again. But now it's coming apart, and they're going to get down to a core of ten nations. Ten major nations getting together. That will happen. And they will be the beast described in Revelation 17. And that power then will become the great power of the whole world. China is looked upon by many scholars even, and experts so-called. You know what an expert is, don't you? A drip under pressure. Expert, anyway. So many of the experts say China is going to be, it's going to be China's century. No, it's not China's century. It's going to be the century of Europe the century of the beast power for a little while, and then it's going to be Jesus Christ's century when he comes again. Most of this century will belong to Jesus Christ. So anyway, we have to understand that. It's going to see, how can I dare say that? Because the Bible indicates that very clearly, brethren. So watch these things happen before your eyes. And see China pull back. See United States of Europe, the European Empire... The revived Roman Empire sat upon by the woman, the great woman who sits on the beast, you see, and therefore controls the beast. She rides the beast. The woman rides the beast, it says in Revelation 17. The religious power, the Roman Catholic Church, it does not have as much physical power, but she controls the beast, the Roman Empire, which she did for hundreds of years during the Dark Ages that brought about massive persecutions and torture and so forth of Christians during that time. So this is going to come back again, and this beast power will come up again during your lifetimes. Turn back to Daniel now, if you would, chapter 11. Daniel 11, and let's see what the Bible says here. It shows how, in verse 40, at the time of the end... So in the next few years, this is going to happen. The king of the south, this coming Arab consortium, nations like Egypt and Libya and Tunisia and Syria probably, and Yemen, Bahrain, these other nations of that sort, ten of them will get together, or a number of them, I mean, shall attack him, talking about the king of the north, who will be the coming Roman empire, the Roman dictator, the coming beast, And the king of the north, the beast, shall come against him like a whirlwind. You see, what do you mean whirlwind? Well, he's going to have more modern uh, uh, helicopter gunships and modern uh, uh, airplanes and swift-moving weaponry. During the Second World War, they called German the German army with their panzer tanks and their air force. They called them the Blitzkrieg. That's the term they use, lightning war, blitzkrieg. It's going to be like a blitzkrieg, a lightning war, because the Europeans will be more heavily armed with the latest technology. And they will come against him like a blitzkrieg with chariots, modern tanks, and all these implements. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the holy land, the glorious land. So he's coming right into Israel. Many countries shall escape. Uh, shall be overthrown, but these shall escape. And it names, interesting, the very Arab nations where the, the uh, Petra is located, 
We don't know if Petra is the place of safety, but somehow these nations are protected. And then he'll stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold, silver of Egypt. Why does he keep saying Egypt? Probably Egypt will be the king of the south. That's what I would guess historically they have been. There's one false prophet who calls himself a minister of God, and he keeps saying Iran is the king of the south, and he doesn't understand anything. He was one of my students, by the way, but I did not teach him that. <laughs> I promise I never taught him that. But anyway, he calls Iran the king of the south, and it is not. Iran is northeast of Jerusalem. Look it up on a map. You look at all biblical directions from the point of view of Jerusalem, and most scholars understand that. Apparently, this guy doesn't even yet. But Iran is northeast of Jerusalem, not south. So the king of the south will probably be Egypt or maybe Saudi Arabia or one of those nations, more likely Egypt, shall not escape. And also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So this European power is going to come down powerfully, this beast, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him, this coming European dictator. Therefore, he'll go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. What's north and east of Israel? Of Jerusalem, well, of course, the big nation would be the Soviet Union or Russia. And they're going to have that 200 million man army described in Revelation 9, verse 16. Read about it. They're going to get together. Finally, they'll get together. They'll be scared to death of this huge European power that's been building up. And so they will get together, probably China and parts of India, maybe all other these other nations over there with the big populations you have to have massive populations to support a 200 billion man army. And he will come down and destroy many, and that is the beast power, and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. So he's going to come right down to Jerusalem. He'll come to his end, and no one will help him. Well, Revelation 19 verse 20 describes that. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, he describes how Christ comes back as king of kings and he grabs the beast and the false prophet and throws them into the lake of fire. No one will help him. They can't help him when Christ gets in, stops that whole thing before they destroy the whole world. Turn back to verse 31, and I think it comes just at that time, not necessarily before. But part of this will come before. <clears throat> this back at chapter 11, verse 31. Forces shall be mustered by him. He's talking here again about the final beast power. And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And they shall take away the daily sacrifice. Other scriptures indicate that the coming dictator in Europe is going to come down. So watch Germany. Brethren, many of you know this. Perhaps a lot of you don't know the Germans have a massive guilt complex because of the Holocaust of persecuting and even burning these Jews during the Second World War. So they have made all kinds of overtures to Israel and they're wanting to show their love to Israel and say they'll help protect Israel. So they'll send German troops in there to protect Israel. There'll be some kind of situation like that where they will come in perhaps peacefully at first and take over and then they will somehow, for the European Empire, allow some kind of agreement or treaty to be made, some kind of covenant to allow the Jews at last to offer animal sacrifices. 
Will the Jews offer animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount in the area they say Solomon's temple was? They may, but some of our leaders and experts have said where Solomon's temple is supposed to be is not the real location. That's interesting. We can watch that. It may not be at that exact place. But somewhere in Jerusalem, there will be animal sacrifices. And again, watch that, young people. People say, well, God's not real and we can't be sure. We're talking about specific nations right here on this earth in the next several years. How can I say these things? Because there is a God in heaven and that God is intervening and God has raised up this work to get this message out around the world with power. And we've got to do it with all the fiber of our being. God wants us to do that. He wants us to reach these people while we can. So they're going to allow them to offer animal sacrifices and they shall take away then the daily sacrifices. They can't take them away unless they've already been started and placed there the abomination of desolation, some terrible pagan idol again like before. Those who do wicked against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, this coming beast. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. We have got to be those people, brethren. Please think about that. You're living at the time of the end. The God of heaven, the God of the Bible is beginning to intervene now in the weather. He's intervening and bringing down the American and British nations. You young people have always assumed America is great and perfect and nothing can ever go wrong. Well, it's not. We have turned away from God. God is the one that gave us all of our blessings. And God is now turning away from us. We have won our last major war. We might win some little skirmish, but we will not win a major war again. We're done. We have turned away from God, and so God has turned away from us. So he's going to allow his people at the time of the end to do great exploits, to reach this world with power, perhaps perform great miracles. And as these things come, I pray that it will drive all of you and me and all of our ministry to our knees more than ever to where we will pray, we will study, we will meditate, we will walk with God and give our lives to God in a passionate way, even more than we have. We will go above and beyond and sacrificially give to God of our lives, our substance, our time, our energy, everything we have, and help get this message out. We should do that. God will bless us forever. You cannot outgive God. God gives you your life. He gives you your breath. He gives you everything you have. So God wants His people to do that. But if we do that, I believe some of this will include the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For we will supernaturally heal the sick, discern spirits, cast out demons, and things like that will occur big time, more than they have ever done in modern history, way more than they have ever been done. Not because we're good, but because God is good. And it's His time. He does have certain times He intervenes more than ever. Jesus' apostles were not more righteous, necessarily, than John the Baptist. And yet Jesus said, John the Baptist, there's never risen a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But the word of the Bible said that John performed no signs. How many miracles did John the Baptist, the greatest prophet or one of the greatest? Zero. Why? It was not God's time yet. And we have had lots of healings recently, and we've had healings down to the time. I've recited some of them to you. But we don't get as many as they did in apostolic times. We don't get as many as we would like, 
We don't get them as quickly as we would like. I think that's going to change, brethren, if we as a church get on our knees and drive ourselves forward and cry out to God as never before to intervene, to bless this church, to bless this work and use us and empower us. So we will, and God's people will carry out great exploits. And those are the people who understand which shall instruct many But for many days they shall fall by the sword, captivity, and plundering. Are we going to be persecuted? Yes, we will be persecuted. I ask all of you to think and to pray about that ahead of time. I've had to think, what if someone in a few years knocks on the door and hear two great big policemen and they grab me and take me off? I hope my wife is ready for that. I've got to be ready for it. My human tendency would be to try to fight back or yell at them or something. But if they're, uh, they're, they are the real law and not just kidnappers, we should just submit to the law and then they get us down in some jail cell for it's a time of religious persecution and beat us up till we scream with pain and knock our teeth loose and everything else. I know that. I know that. I hope you know that. That's going to happen to some of us before it's all over. And we need to be ready for it. Our life is God's life. It's not our life. So we are going to be tested and when they fall they shall be aided a little but many shall join them with intrigue many hundreds of people perhaps before the end thousands of people will come into the church of God just to save their hides or maybe even to spy on us to undermine us not always for the right reason and some of those of understanding shall fall we've had that happen in the recent upset in the worldwide church of God, the big uh, heresy that came over us. That's terrible when I think about, you know, all the students I've taught and the ministers that are out there that fell away, fell away, fell away, leading brethren I've known. That's terrible. How much more is it going to happen toward the end when their physical lives are in danger? Will they compromise? Will you compromise? Try to plan it ahead of time. What would you do? How real is God to you? How real is salvation to you? Are you going to go back to the world so quickly? How many compromises are you making right now? It's so easy to compromise and try to save your hide. So many of understanding shall fall to refine them, to purge them, and to make them white. Maybe they can be brought to a depth of repentance they did not have in this lifetime, even if they have to die until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So it's at the time of the end, all these things happen, and we need to realize that these things are speeding up, and this is describing what is just ahead in our lives, and I hope all of us can think about that, pray about that, and get ready to do our part. A powerful work, brethren. My brethren, listen, a powerful work has got to be done. As I've said, somewhere on this earth, God wants to have a people that will do that work. As far as I can humanly tell, we are that people. But we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. I make mistakes every day of my life, but I haven't made any big mistake to wreck the work. And I'm trying to do it with all my heart. I try to do what I do in the fear of God and try to make decisions in the fear of God for the ultimate good of the work. And I know most of you know that. Mr. Dick Ames sitting here is one of the most dedicated men I've ever known. Steady, kind, stable, dedicated to God, 
and trying to carry on and has a wonderful television personality, brings in more responses than I do or than anyone does. So he is the one designated to take over if something should happen to me. And Mr. Ames and I have talked over three or four possibilities of younger men because we're getting older and we're thinking and praying about that. Who would take over next? I'm not going to start naming names because that could be a problem. (laughs) Watch this one, watch that one. But we had three or four men. And if some of those are not ready, then we dip down to the next generation, down young men down in their 30s and early 40s. God knows what's best. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Brethren, I could not remotely have begun to imagine who would take over the church after Mr. Armstrong's death. And I don't think you could. I don't think you could, Mr. League, could you? It would have been not in our wildest dreams that I've ever imagined that Joda Koch, who was a kind of a deacon up in Chicago, who was not able to do all kinds of things. I don't want to go into detail, but I knew him very, very well. And I joined Dean Blackwell in ordaining him a deacon there because Dean wanted to. He was the district superintendent. I could not remotely believe that that would happen. You see how quickly God can turn things around? It was God's time, as Herman Say said, it was God's time for the Laodicean church to begin. And he said, Rod, he says, the Laodicean church can't begin until, uh, you know, unless there is, there is a, a, a situation created where it could begin. He said, if you or, or uh, he mentioned Raymond McNair and one or two others were put in, that would not happen. But he said, now that can happen. A great sense of confusion. And now the Laodicean did begin soon after that time where people began to go every direction, fall away, confusion, and God caused it. It was his time to test his people. He allowed that apostasy to come for a reason. And he does that. He can guide circumstances where he will put the right one in. But if the right one, Mr. Armstrong said, I thought he made a mistake on that. Whoever's there, you follow no matter what. Well, you don't follow whoever follows me, whatever. You don't follow me no matter what. You follow us as we follow Christ. But that doesn't mean you look for the loose brick. Either extreme is wrong, if you know what I mean. If you're looking, does Rod Meredith make a mistake? I'm out of here. Well, you should have been out of here 50 years ago. I was making more mistakes back then. (laughs) I keep making more mistakes every day. No, you see the big picture. Try to see, as I've said, the big picture. These big world events are happening. When you're persecuted, think of the big picture. And when you think of the work, think even in spite of some weakness I have or Mr. Ames or whoever might come next, are they perfect? No, There's never been a perfect leader on this earth except the man named Jesus. Now, that statement is used. Who who did this? A man called Jesus. (laughs) Heal me. He was the only one who was ever perfect. A man called Jesus. No one else has been. But you see, where is the work being done? Where is the full truth being taught? Not every little jot or tittle the way you would do it, but the full truth over the basic things of the Bible. And where is the government of God? That is important. Where is the government being taught and practiced? Not perfectly, but again, generally the way the Bible does better than elsewhere. That's being done here at this time. Most of you know that. We have some who are over to the left and they vote and politic and go along with majority. Others at the other extreme pronounce themselves apostles or prophets or become great dictators and kick people out for even eating with their relatives if they're not in their church, stuff like that. Ridiculous. 
We don't have any of that here at all. We don't have an attitude of fear and frustration in that way. So I think you understand that. But try to see the big picture. We've got to get together, hang together, and do the work of God with all our hearts. Turn back now, if you would, to uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people. Brethren, most of you know this, but for new people, let me say, if you go back to the beginning of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a Levite. And it shows that he was a priest here at chapter 1, verse 3. And then it describes how God was sending him, sending him from the Jews over to the captivity of Israel. And he told him to go preach these things to them and warn them from me, he told Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel wrote many things that had not ever happened and have not happened yet. Because Ezekiel was writing, as you know, and as these uh, commentaries and historians nearly all agree, I'm just right, look at what I've been wrote, uh, 593 to 571 B.C. approximately. In other words, almost 600 years before Christ. But on the other hand, the captivity of ancient Israel was about 721 B.C., So the captivity of ancient Israel took place over 100 years before Ezekiel ever prophesied. So when Ezekiel says Israel's going into captivity and the house of Israel and all of Israel, he says a couple times, and it's never happened since that time, what are you talking about? And many of the scriptures that say that go right on. If you read the following verses, show clearly it's for the end time. It's yet ahead. It's going to happen in the now lifetimes of all you younger people if you keep on living. That's when it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. So he says, Speak to the children of your people when I bring the sword upon a land. This is any time. And the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. Mr. Armstrong explained they did that to him because they backed him financially and with their prayers. And you're doing that to us today. God is allowing that, and you are backing us, and I'm grateful you are, so we can get this message out. Some of us may die trying. That's fine. Our life belongs to God. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, we've got to warn them as strong as we can, and I'm going to get even stronger on television. I'm going to help the work get stronger in every way we possibly can. You say, why don't you just give them everything on TV that you give here? Well, we're we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I could get part of one sermon like that, then we might be thrown off all the TV because the stations would not accept it. You see what I mean? So we've got to get as strong as we're allowed to and still stay on TV. But we can get even stronger in our magazines, even stronger in the Internet and other areas, stronger in our personal campaigns, and certainly strongest right in our own church. We may have spies coming into our churches. we get bigger. We probably will. We might have someone spying on me right now. That's tough for you, not tough for me. God will protect me and you can't hurt me unless it's God's time. But it's tough for you if you don't understand the truth. You're in more danger than I am. But God is going to make certain ones his watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet, a trumpet is an alarm of war. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning uh, and takes his own, uh, the sword will come and take him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. But, verse 6, if the watchman sees the sword coming, 
if Mr. Ames and I and the other ministers see the sword coming and do not blow the trumpet, if we're not crying out to our people to help them know what's coming, say, wake up, wake up, America, while you can, and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any person, he's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. We have a responsibility before God Almighty to get this message out. And brethren, you are all part of the staff of the watchman. Mr. Armstrong said that, and I think he was true. I think he was a man of God. All of you are helping hold up my hands. You're holding up Mr. Ames' hands, Dr. Winnell's hands, and the other leaders of this church by your prayers, your tithes, your offerings, your encouragement, your support direct help of so many of you here in the offices doing your part with all your heart you're holding up our hands so you son of man i have made you a watchman for the house of israel therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me we're warning the nations for jesus christ the living head of the church so we have to really get involved with that with all of our hearts and we need to have dedication and we need to have a people of dedication in the church and a people of courage to go above and beyond and to reach out in every way they can personally and to pray and fast and even sacrificially give like that widow give. Jesus said, as he watched all these people put into the offerings, he said, this poor widow is given more than any of them because she gave even of her own living. These rich gifts came along and they gave a little bit. She gave dramatically. And God honored her and put that in his Bible. So as we have opportunity in all these ways, try to be sacrificial in serving God and give your life to God. We've got to prepare a people for God, brethren, at the time of the end, and prepare all of you and you brethren around the world to be kings and priests as the end of this world comes. Turn back to Revelation now. Turn back to Revelation and notice here in verse chapter 2 and verse 26. This is basic, but we need to think about it in this relationship at the time of the end. Revelation two twenty-six. He who overcomes, you don't just sit there like a stump. You grow, you change, you vigorously give your life to God and keeps my works. There's work to be done. You things you ought to be doing. To Him will I give power. Will God give great power to you if you just sort of sit there and don't do anything? No. But if you try to get involved in the work in every way you can through prayer, fasting, tithing, sacrificially giving offerings above your normal tithes and offerings, and then helping others, serving them, calling them, encouraging them, praying for them, and so forth, having an impact, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them, the nations of this earth. We get a chance to bring peace to them and joy and prosperity and goodness in a way they've never experienced over the whole earth. It's going to bring tears of joy to hundreds of millions of human beings when the kingdom of God is set up. So we have that opportunity to rule the nations and serve them. Back in chapter 5, Revelation 5, it talks about the prayers of the saints here in verse 8. And they sang, the saints sing a new song. And here is the song of the saints, the saints of God. They sing, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. For you, Christ obviously, were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. We just finished taking the Passover 
Well, let's not forget it. As I've called us before, we are the church of the forgiven. We're not the church of the goody goods. We're the church of the forgiven because every one of us has had to be forgiven and forgiven and forgiven by God. And we need to forgive each other, help each other, work with each other. We've been redeemed by the blood of the very Son of God out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth, not up in heaven. Christ's plan is to make you and me a kingdom of priests or kings and priests like Moses. Remember, Moses was a Levite. His brother, of course, Aaron, was the main Levite directly in the the priesthood. But Moses was a Levite and he himself offered sacrifices. So he was a priest, but he was also like a king. He administered the government. He also was a priest teaching the people God's laws and God's ways. And that's the way we will be, except we will be directed directly by Christ like Moses was in many ways, you know, because Christ spoke to Moses face to face like he never spoke to anyone before again like that in that particular way. Christ will show us exactly how to rule the nations. And if we built Christ's laws and Christ's mind and Christ's approach into our lives, all our Christian life and overcome and study the Bible, feed on Christ, then it will be easy for him to slightly Give us these slight adjustments. Some of us may have, may need to have major adjustments, <laughs> but he will help us adjust ourselves and do it even more perfectly when we are given spirit bodies in his kingdom to be kings and priests ruling this earth under Jesus Christ. So he has made us. God said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham could have been smart. I like said, well, okay, big shot. Where are they? But Abraham didn't know that. Those nations did not appear until hundreds of years later. God has made us, as it says back in Romans 4.15, Romans 4.15, God calls those things which be not as though they were. When God says something, it is just as good as done. Nothing can stop it. So God has made us, that is, us who are willing to overcome and to grow until the end. His plan, it's done. It's already cooked in the books, as we say. We will be made kings and priests helping bring peace and joy to this entire earth. We will reign on the earth. How are we going to do that? Because we've been preparing to do that all our Christian lives by getting involved in God's work, by responding. And you men, most of you wanted to get into the advanced leadership training class, to get into the spokesman club, to get involved as a, a deacon or acting deacon, helping and you women getting involved in helping and serving others. All of us giving our lives for one another in every way we can. That's what we should be doing with every fiber of our being to try to be actively serving God the best we can. I know there's some of you are older and you can't do all these things I'm outlining, but do the best you can. I think I've all told you about Chloe Shepherd up in Oregon. She, she, she was old enough to be, well, she was not quite old enough to be my grandmother, but she was older than mother. She was a leading deaconess. And every Sabbath, I was up there practicing on them. I just graduated from Ambassador College four to six months earlier. and But she knew that. I was just a man, young preacher practicing. And every week, I got a nice letter from Close Shepherds saying, Oh, we really appreciate, Mr. Meredith, your being here. And we love your sermon. You're such a good preacher. Years later, I reread some of that. No, I was not a good preacher. This old lady was trying to encourage me. <laughs> she encouraged me every week. By sending me those letters or giving me phone calls or coming and cleaning my apartment. I've told you about that. 
One time she said, well, I think you're a young man. You may want us to clean. I said, no, I'm just fine. Well, she asked the next week, and I still said that. Then later that week, she came with another lady, and she had a big uh, pail and mops and and brushes. I said, what are you doing here? She said, we're here to help you. She just came and she began to clean my apartment. And she found dust, and I didn't know there's dust everywhere, but there was. Young man doesn't pay any attention. So she cleaned things up and helped me as she helped others continually all through that church. There's so many things you can do if you want to. If you want to, you can serve others in many ways to go help the young women that are having babies. Babysit for them. Take care of them. Encourage them. All the things we can do to all kinds of situations. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians now, brethren. Uh, chapter 6, if you would, at this point. And uh, if I can find my own marker here. You're familiar with this, but I want to really have you think about this here as we get ready for the end Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Why would you go down the street to a worldly court? Why? Well, your whole life, that's all you've ever thought about that. But if you're really converted, how should you begin to think? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Are there men in God's church that you could trust as much as you trust some worldly judge that doesn't even know God? You say, well, I know uh, Mr. League, he's, he has mistakes. Now, I know him too, but he doesn't have near as mistakes as many of you have. <laughs> and you could go and get help from him, help from Mr. Rod McNair and help from the other ministers here. We have Judge Wiseman come in to take over the whole work way back when. At least he was honest in this way. He got us all together and said, well... He said, I'm here to run the work for the state during this receivership. But he says, I'm not, I'm not in your church. I'm not in your faith. I'm Jewish. He says, so I'm going to appoint so-and-so to do that part. And of course, most of you, he, you know, if you hear about judges all the time, Jesus calls them the unjust judge. So you've got to learn to develop the faith that Christ is the head of the church, that he will guide the ministry. And if we try to tell you something that is directly contrary to the Ten Commandments, you don't have to do it. We know that. But I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe one time out of a thousand. You learn to trust Christ to guide the ministry, and God tells you that in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture all the way through the Bible. Trust the leaders He puts in if you see it is the church and the work is being done and the truth is being preached. It's just that simple. Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even these smaller matters? You see, you should learn to be practicing the government of God now, Paul is telling us. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more of the things that pertain to this life? We're going to even judge the angelic hosts. We'd better learn to judge among ourselves and develop the understanding to make right decisions among ourselves and to get that whole concept of preparing to be kings and priests, a whole team of us working together, cooperating, sharing, being responsive to the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's what God is trying to tell us, and that's what we need to be doing. So we need to be doing all these things as a team and preparing to serve in God's kingdom and developing and learning the government of God. Turn back one more time to Daniel 12 now, brethren. Daniel 12. And here he says again, he said in chapter 11, verse 40, at the time of the end, 
the king of the south would attack him, the beast. But in chapter 12, it continues, At that time, the time of the end, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Again, the greatest tribulation in human history, Jesus said. A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book. He says, many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake. There's going to be the resurrection from the dead. And some to everlasting life and some to shame. Those who are wise, verse 3, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, brethren, the more you get involved as part of the team that Christ is preparing, the more you get involved in Christ's very work, giving your energy, your time, your talents, your life to be part of that, the more God will bless you now and forever. Very clear, he says that over and over. You shall shine like the stars forever. I want to close with a scripture I don't give you that often, but something we should think about. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. It's been describing here in the previous verses, starting with verse 18, how ancient Israel came to the mountain. They came up to Mount Sinai that shook with fire and the trumpet sounded louder and louder. And verse 21, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. God showed his power when he gave the Ten Commandments, the Lord God of the armies of Israel. Verse 22, but you have come, Paul writes, our people today, not to Mount Sinai, but to the Mount Zion. You see, the, the church is sometimes typified as that, God's kingdom, God's government, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. You've come to hundreds of millions of angels are part of God's kingdom, and you're going to be surrounded by them. Think about that. The glory, the power, the majesty that God shows to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven. Is your name registered in heaven? Are you in God's book? I hope you all are. Probably most of you are. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Think about that. There's a spirit essence, which is the real you, connected with the human brain. When you die... The body dies. Even the brain, human brain, shuts down for that spirit essence goes back to God. You are going to join forever the spirits of just men made perfect. God is fashioning you, molding you, teaching you, guiding you, using you, and preparing you by guiding your mind, by helping you develop His personality, His character, the way He thinks, the way He is. He's fashioning you to be a king or a priest and a full son of God on the God plane of existence forever. The spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of angel, of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Think about that. Don't refuse God as God speaks to you today. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? We've got to follow what God says, whose voice then shook the earth. 
That was the voice of Jesus Christ speaking for God the Father. He was the Word. He was the Logos. He was the God of Israel. It shook the earth, literally. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. You can never be shaken out of God's kingdom if you do your part. God will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His kingdom cannot be overcome or shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, deep, profound respect, and godly fear. Our lives belong to God. If they start to throw us into a furnace of fire, as we see the flames roaring, our immediate result, our immediate feeling would be, we've got to save our hide. We've got to get out of here. Say, just bow, bow down before this Catholic idol or whatever they, you know. Would you do that? Some of you would. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not do that. And God caused this tremendous miracle to take place. We will have things like that, not exactly that, to face. Years to come. We've got to know that God is there. We've got to see these big things happening. We've got to know that God is real. We've got to know that in spite of our imperfections, this is the church of God doing the work of God. And we've got to have faith and confidence in Christ's leadership overall. So therefore, we have to have grace and serve God with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God won't mess around in the end. We all want to go all out to be in God's kingdom. We want to go all out to get this work done. We want to give our lives to God. He will then give us eternal life and glory and power and majesty in the kingdom of God and the family of God grown great so we can interact with God, walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, literally fellowship with the Father and with Jesus as full sons of God throughout all eternity because we will have overcome. We will fulfill the purpose for which God called us and has given us life and breath.